we're in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and mixed emotions, as you know. I mean, we're finishing up a book. My favorite book we're finishing up. So, you know, we'll be moving right on into 2 Timothy. We want to make sure we take the books back by back to back. So uh, it's, it's not that sad. We're going right into 2 Timothy, which is my favorite book. So you can't miss that. Hey, if, um, as we take a look here in the scriptures today in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we see that Paul closes out his epistle by turning his focus upon young Pastor Timothy. As you've seen throughout this letter, this epistle, Paul has gone methodically through discussing the expectations, the boundaries set of how um, Timothy is to minister to each and every person within that congregation there in Ephesus. And it's so, so relevant to our, 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 our church today as well, that as we take a look and we've read through here and studied 1 Timothy, that God has been speaking to your heart and to my heart as we go through this. And today, as Paul picks up here, he's going to focus specifically in an exhortation or encouragement to Timothy to finish well here as a pastor in this church. He'll throw in a little bit on uh, what we left off in in the beginning of uh, chapter 6, dealing with those who were coming in with as a false teacher, coming in with these things on, on riches. And he's going to address specifically those who have been blessed or have pursued riches uh, as their desire that we saw here uh, back in, uh, in uh, chapter 6. And I believe it's right there in verse 9, who desire to be rich, but uh, because they became, that money became a love for them. And again, money's not the problem. It's the love of money that's the problem. It will deviate your attention away from the things that God has for you and puts them on things of this world. And so we were warned last week about those that we need to, to stay uh, very focused on what God has for us. And today we will see that it will be true for Timothy and uh, for us again as a, as a congregation. Now he gives us, uh, Timothy, this final challenge, this final encouragement, this final the charge to be very focused upon what God has for him as a pastor in that church. And he starts here in verse 11 of chapter 6, and he says to Timothy, but you... You, O man of God, flee these things and pursue or follow righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Now, if you remember, cast your eyes up above that in verses 3 uh, through 10. And I'm just going to highlight what he was just saying so you can see the contrast here. And verse 3 says, if anyone teaches otherwise, teaches other than what God Paul was given to Paul to share with Timothy, to share with the congregation. If these false teachers come in and teach other than what I'm teaching, don't listen to these people. Don't pay attention to them. Matter of fact, he says, does not consent with wholesome words or even words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine, the truths, which according with godliness... 
Why? Because these people are proud. These people are know nothing. They sound like they know everything. They have lots of knowledge, but they know nothing of the truth. They're falling, they're going away from God's truth. Watch out for these types of people. Why? Because they're absolutely obsessed with causing these divisions or disputes and arguments over words. They love to argue with you in church. They love to want to get you to move your attention away from the simplicity of the God's grace and makes it come back into religiosity or all these other false religions that are creeping around the place. Watch these people. Then, because it's going to cause some envy, and it'll cause strife, reviling, and, and evil suspicions. These things are what's going to happen. So keep your eye open for that. And even useless wranglings or, or these, these, these arguments that just are just worthless. Men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. These are the things that he's warning Timothy to warn the people. And if you follow along down, he says... There's a, there's a godliness with contentment that is great gain in your life. So don't get distracted to these things that these people are teaching you. Because you have to remember, keep it real simple. And I love the simplicity of the scripture here in verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world and is certain we will carry nothing out. <laughs> Paul keeps it real when it comes to you chasing the riches of this world and the pleasures of this world be very careful not to get caught up into these things. And then finally he says, you can have such contentment with just the knowing the fact that you have food, the fact that you have clothing, the fact that you have shelter. Be content. It's very good. But notice in verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. And all kinds of temptations he warned us last week. Warns of lust, warns of this foolish behavior, harmful behavior, things that will come into your life that is not of God. So be very careful where you put your desires. It's not of God. And it will lead you to a, like a drowning man. It will just consume you. It will smother you when your attention is so focused on getting rich and getting things of the things of this world and the pleasures and getting ahead. It will you'll make you feel like you're a man or a woman drowning. Those are words of, of wisdom that we need to be aware of when those things happen. And it will bring destruction and perdition in one's life. And for the love, in verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Be very, very careful what you so into your head, into your mind, and what you're pursuing of what this world tries to teach you. And that's why he brings us to that part of the letter here. And he says, but you, Timothy, but you, Timothy, O man of God, that's not how you work. That's not how you behave. That's not how you think as a minister of, of the people that I am bringing into this church for you to minister to, that is not how you think, Timothy. And you need to teach the people the same thing. Why? Because he says, we see th two things here in verse 11. I need you to flee these things that I was just talking about. These things that you're pursuing to be rich. Pursuing the things of this pleasures of these, this world. You need to flee these things that are trying to get you. To take your attention away from what God has, got, has for you. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you as God adds to you what he knows you can handle, what you know is good for you, what is he will add to your life. And yes, some of you are very wealthy. Some of you have been blessed by God. That is a blessing that's great. There's nothing wrong with it. But don't take your mind off of what God has blessed you with. But what do you do with those resources that God has given you? for his kingdom and for others. Now that's, your, that's the question you'll be battling with, with all those resources God has given you. And he says here, not only are you to flee these things, but to pursue or follow, and he gives us very specific things of righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Now this, this wording that he gives, Paul gives to Timothy, O man of God, says, you're to be different, Timothy. You're to be different. You're commanded, Timothy. You must be different from those who live for riches and material wealth. We see here Paul named Timothy, O man of God, which is in line with some really good company, if you know the scripture. We know that God was used, Moses in Deuteronomy 33.1 called him the man of God. We see Samuel was called a man of God. We see David was called a man of God. We see Elijah was called a man of God. Timothy was in good company when Paul says to him, you're a man of God. Timothy, you're on track. Stay on track, man. Don't get deviated chasing the things of this world. Be a man of God. Be a woman of God. And you must do that by fleeing. Flee away from these proud arguments, these, these false teachers, these people love to bring up. Always arguing and debating over the things that are so outside of the word of God. Who misuses God's word. You need to flee from these people. Don't listen to them on the internet. Don't read their books. But these people think they know and understand everything about God and they want you to know that they know what they know about everything about God they don't know. It comes very apparent. There are times when people must find themselves where they, they just, when they know and they're faced with their problems and faced with things in their lives that they just don't like, many times people will flee. They don't face their problems. They don't face the issues. They don't like to be told or what to do or not to do. They don't like accountability in their lives. And men will flee. Happens all the time. And I'm always encouraging you men. Men, do not flee. Face the issues in your life. Let's do it. And God will take and change, transform you. You cannot continue to flee your whole life. You shouldn't be fleeing. You need to address them. Let God deal with them. Open your lives to him to allow him to do it. But there are times when we must flee. It is the wisdom and a victory to flee the situation we find ourselves in. You can ask Joseph when he fled from that temptation from the master's wife in Genesis 39, 12. He was to flee. Get out of there, man. 
We see David fleeing from King Saul when he tried to kill him in 1 Samuel 19.10. Get out of there. The man's trying to kill you. It's time to flee. The word flee that Paul used here is not referring to a literal running. He's literally telling Timothy to separate himself from the sins of false teachers. Stay away from them. Don't listen to them. Don't let them have impact and influence over you. Paul clearly stated to Timothy in Timothy 6.5, From such withdraw yourself. You can always tell when you're having a conversation with someone and the things that start coming out of their mouths reveal to them if they've really been just reading the word of God and spending time with God or they've been listening to someone else that is not in line with the word of God. You got to have that discernment. You must mature and grow so you have that discernment so you can uncatch those things when people try to feed them to you. And it's so prevalent, my brothers and sisters, today when you're on Facebook and other, Facebook and other methodologies of getting information, you find yourselves being led to someone who has very clever with their words. They're very entertaining. They seem to have the number one book on the New York bestselling. That should be the first clue not to listen to them. When the world accepts it, you know it's not probably lined up with the word of God. You have to be cautious. And you have to understand that not all unity is good. And not all division is bad. Sometimes you must separate from those who try to take you down a path as Paul's warning Timothy. Don't listen to him. Don't. Don't let them hook you with some little clever thing and start wheeling you in because you have no idea that you've just been bait and you've been hooked and they're taking you down. Test all things what you hear, even from this pulpit. When you hear something, go back and look and search the scriptures and validate not only are you to flee, Paul says to Timothy, but you're to pursue or follow these following things. Righteousness. Righteousness is my relationship with man, personal integrity. You must pursue personal integrity. You must, Timothy. And you must teach your people to do the same thing. It is an importance that you teach your children to pursue personal integrity. Relationship with man. Not only that, it couples with the actual godliness. You must be very focused upon and not get distracted with your relationship with God, which is this practical piety, this practical devotion to God. And anything or anyone who would keep you from devoting your life to God, must you must separate yourself from them. And I say that not as a, from a physical perspective, because there's some people in your life you physically can't separate yourself from. But you cannot allow them to have the influences in your life to sway you from doing what God's calling to you to do. 
But you must have this relationship with man, this relationship with God, and it couples together righteousness and godliness. That must be important in your life. Don't let the pride and the riches and the things of this world distract you. Timothy was to make these things his pursuit. He was to pursue them daily. And these are things which are often not valued in our present age at all. But they're very valuable to God. Very important to God. They're the fruit of the Spirit. When you look at these, it says, this is what should bear from a mature Christian life. Is we should see righteousness. We should see godliness in their lives. We should see faith. Or a better translated word here is faithfulness. We should see this faithfulness to God. This greatest ability in one's life is dependability. Let me state that again. I can't tell you enough. To, when, I get, when we come to see God in heaven, well done and good and what? Faithful servant. How important when you don't you not don't you not want to hear those words from our Lord when you come in his presence? But sometimes the best ability you can give is your dependability. Your yes be your yes, your no be your no. Faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to what God's called you to do. Faithfulness to do what you say you're going to do. Another one is love. Love is this word right here is, uh, means agape love. An unconditional love. A sacrificial love for the sake of others. Not for yourself. But the, for the sake of others. Seeking to give and not to gain. That is completely against what these false teachers were teaching. You need to get rich. It's all about you. What can you go buy? What can you go get? What position can you have? It's all about me, 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 and what more can I get? No, God says, Timothy, that is not how you live the life of God that's pleasing to God. You have to live a life that is just a humbled life, a content life, a simple life that is going to please him and loving, unconditional, sacrificial for the sakes of others. Be a person who's a giver, not someone who can just, what can you get from the church? What can you get from the society? What can I get from other people? How can I manipulate to get more money out of them or more, whatever it may be? That is not a child of God. So Timothy was being hurt clearly by Paul. You must love un, 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 sacrificially for the sake of the people there in the congregation. You need to seek to give, not to gain. And another was patience. It carries the idea of endurance. Timothy, you must endure. You must endure all the things that are coming and will come against you as a pastor. You must endure. Sticking to it when things get tough. Keep showing up, Timothy, regardless of how you feel. You need to endure, Timothy. And you need to tell your people to endure. Because situations and things can happen in life that is, we're not talking about patience of, of complacency here. 
We're not talking about a life of laziness. I just don't feel like it. It's just inconvenient. It's going to be a little of a struggle for me to do those things. That's why I don't want to go. That's why I don't want to do what I said I would do. I know I probably should go, but I, you know, it's kind of, it would be so much easier if we, no, we're not talking about that kind of lazy, worldly patience. I'll sit here on the couch and waste my time away gaming it and watching TV and movie after movie, and I'll be patiently waiting to see what the Lord's going to show me. That is not godly. That's worldly, not godly. What he's talking about here in this patient is a courage to continue in hard places and hard times. The courage continue. And lastly, he says gentleness. In your translation, it might say meekness. And if you've heard the term meekness is not weakness. It is a power under control. There's a gentleness is a power under control. It's like, I always love the analogy of the horse, a, be- a beautiful thoroughbred, a-, a great black stallion. That horse can absolutely destroy you because it has such power. But have you ever seen a horse that's gentle? That just a little bit, a little tip here to the left or right, and it just turns this massive power to the left, to the right. Philippians 4, 5 says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And so we see here Paul saying the final challenge is to leave some things. You must leave them. You're going to flee from them. And you're going to follow hard after some things that isn't just simple things, but hard things to follow. Not only, Timothy, not only are you as a pastor supposed to do these things, but this applies to you, the people that I have brought to hear your words, to hear the reading of the letter that I'm writing to you, Timothy. This is from God, and your people need to hear these things. And that is why we're studying and listening and hearing the scripture today. If you want to be a man of God, if you want to be a woman of God, as opposed to being a man or a woman of this world, you must listen and apply the things that we're reading today in the scripture. You must. Regardless of how you feel, you must, if you want to be a godly or a godly man or a godly woman, you must apply. And he continues, for a third thing, he says, now, not only do you flee, not only do you follow, but you must fight the good fight of faith here in verse 12. Lay a hold of eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy, you're going to have to fight. You have a final challenge, Timothy. You must fight. You must continue to go God's way. You cannot go the worldly way. You must continue in God's way. You must go against the flow of this world. You need to swim back against the current man. And it won't be easy. Timothy, you have to be like a soldier 
determined to go into the battle. The word here, this verb here, fight, means to keep on fighting. Keep on fleeing, keep on following, keep on fighting. It's a continuation in the, script, in the, in the language. It's not a one-time deal. It's a word which we get our English word agonize. It applies to athletes. It applies to soldiers. You agonize in the battle. It's not easy. It describes a person straining or giving his best to win the prize or win the fight, to win the battle. But always remember, the fight is never between believers. It's between a person of God and the enemy around him. It's never a fight between believers. God calls us to be fighters. But we, not, we don't fight just for the sake of fighting. We see here in the scripture, we fight the good fight of faith. One who is fighting to defend the faith that he has put his entire trust upon, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The truths of the scripture. A fight where some may lose a battle once in a while. You may lose that battle. You fall weak or whatever it may be. But they will get back up and continue to fight and determine to continue to defend the faith. With great determination. And they keep going until the war is what? Over. You never get to the point in your life as a Christian say, I've tried Christianity for a year or two or one month or one day. I continue to follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior to the very end. And nothing and no one will distract me from that relationship. Even myself. And then I will lay hold, as Paul says, lay hold on eternal life. We see in the scripture here that Timothy was drafted into this war. It says, to which you were also called, Timothy. You were called to do this. You were drafted, man. Sometimes when you come to Christ, like, oh, man, I... I I, I, I want to do this, but I don't want to do this. And there's a struggle in the beginning when you're like, okay, do I, do I want this Christian life or I don't want this Christian life? And it's like you, you, you go crazy. In my, the first six months of getting saved, I thought I was going crazy. Because the battle between the worldliness I've wanted for so many years goes so contrary to what the scripture said, it was a very much an internal mental battle for me. Almost up to a year. God just patiently waiting. Saying, no, Corey, you've got a calling on your life. You've been, you've been drafted in. Not only was he drafted in, Timothy, but he also, Timothy, volunteered, we see right here, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So God had called him to this, but he also had a good 
a good confession to all those witnesses that were watching. Was he referring to his ordination or was it referring to his baptismal? He was declaring his, he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. But all these witnesses saw that he voluntarily gave his life up to Jesus Christ and will follow him to his death. What a beautiful moment here for him. And Paul's reminding him of the fact that he has been called and the fact that he had given a confession to many witnesses of his devotion to Jesus Christ and to his calling as a pastor. That's why in verse 13, Paul says, I urge you, I command you, I challenge you here, man. He says, in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. So Paul now reminds Timothy, Timothy, your actions of that good confession, those following through with the calling that God has given you to do what he's called you to do for him, you're right in line. You're in good company with Jesus Christ himself because even Jesus was a witness and a good confession before Pontius Pilate himself. Paul is calling Timothy in this difficult battle, this final challenge to him. It was good to, for him to know that in the orders were given under this great God, Timothy, this is what I have for you to do. And because of that, he had an obligation, Timothy had an obligation to serve and be obedient to the Creator who gave him life. Now in this world we live in, I find it very troublesome because many have denied God as Creator. Everywhere you turn, they're trying to get you to understand and convince your kids and you that there is no creator. It's all about science. It just happens. I mean, you hear all these little things. They're very subtle. But you have to understand as a Christian what they're trying to tell you and your children, that there is no creator. There is no God. It's so subtle. That's how the enemy works. You must diligently remind yourself and teach your family there is a God and he's a creator of all things. And because of the fact that they subtly bring in the fact that there is no creator has done such damage in our society, in our culture today. Some of the biggest damage has come from the simple fact that many people no longer believe they have a creator and they must honor and be accountable to their creator. When you take God out of things and you don't even think about God, you think you have all the freedom to do whatever you want to do with your life. And if that's where you're at today, you've been deceived. Let me tell you, you've been deceived and you're on the wrong track. Please understand there's a creator and he wants you to honor him and worship him. And you must be accountable to him in everything you do. And you will be. You can't get around it. You may think you're going to get around it, but there's a day of judgment. It's going to happen regardless of how you think and feel. 
It's important you be reminded. So Jesus Christ himself was a witness to this Pontius Pilate in regards to the good confession. Jesus admitted the truth about himself and who he was to Pilate's statement when he said, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, I am. We see that in Matthew 27, 11. We also see that Jesus testified to Pilate about the sovereignty of God in John 19, 11, when he said to Pilate, Pilate, you think you're in control, but you have to understand, you could have no power of all against me unless it has been given to you from above. You think you're in charge. You think you're in control. <laughs> you couldn't do a thing unless God Almighty, my Father, has given you the ability to do it. Or taken his hands off and allowed you to do it. But Jesus let Pilate know that God was in control. He was in charge and not Pilate. Jesus also, in that good confession, Jesus was silent about very specific accusations that they were making against him. False accusations. He refused to defend himself by leaving his life in the will of God the Father. We see that in Matthew 27, 14. I don't need to say anything. I don't need to defend myself on these things. My father is in control. And I fear not. I do not fear man. I'm in the palm of my father's hands. Nothing touches my life unless it's been father filtered first. And when you have that understanding and, and absolute confidence in who your heavenly father is, you will not be swayed by the powers of this world. But in each of these ways, Jesus made a good confession before Pontius Pilate. So when Timothy is told to live up to this good confession he has made, he is simply being told to do what, exactly what Jesus did. When we are to rise up and be that good confession in front of witnesses, we're just being like our Savior. That's what God has called us to do. In verse 14, he says that you keep this commandment without spot. Blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing. How long do I need to keep doing this, Paul says to Timothy? Timothy goes, Timothy, you keep going until Jesus appearing. When he comes back, just keep going until he comes back for you. Verse 15, which he will manifest his own time in, in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and Lord of lords. In verse 16, who alone has immorality dwelling in unapproachable light whom no whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. How long, Timothy? How long was Timothy to supposedly keep fighting the good fight? Until there's the appearing of his Lord Jesus Christ. The word appearing here means epiphany. 
a glorious manifestation. Paul used this word two other times I see in the scriptures. The first time was in this first coming of Jesus Christ. It will be noted in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. And that same word is also used of his return in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 8. Paul did not know when Christ was coming again. But, God, but Paul knew that his task and our task is to be faithful every day. To keep our eyes on him and abide in him. We see that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. Now one of the things that I find always fascinating as you ponder on the scripture, think about the letter here of 1 Timothy. And as you're studying all the scriptures and through all the scriptures, you realize here in 1 Timothy, Paul is speaking to Timothy, and this young pastor, you just kind of think, oh, he only knows what's being written to him. But you have to always remember, when he's talking about these things, about the appearing of Jesus Christ, did Timothy already know about the return of Jesus Christ? And the answer is yes. Why? Because 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, that letters were written way before 1 Timothy. So here's young Timothy, the pastor young Timothy. Not only did he travel with Paul, he was discipled by Paul. He understood the theology that was taught by Paul. So Timothy knew and understand the difference between the judgment seat and the white throne judgment. He understood the rapture versus the return of Jesus Christ with the church. He understood the, the Antichrist and what and who he was. And he understood about the thousand year reign when he read this letter. Sometimes we forget what he already knew as a, as a young pastor here. But because those letters were already given. That teaching was already out there even to him. But Paul draws Timothy's attention, and it's the same thing for us today. We can get so focused on the world that we take our eyes off of Jesus. And Paul here is bringing his attention, Timothy, back on his Savior, Jesus, and God Almighty, the Father. And he brings it back here when he says, He who is. He's reminding of who God is. Right here in this, these verses. He's the blessed. He's the only potentate. The one, the true God, the Father, who alone has all power and strength, who rules over the universe. He rules from heaven. This is who he's reminding of who he follows and keeps his, his, his mind and his life focused upon. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. The majesty. And when you focus on and you worship the majesty of your heavenly Father, all of these things, all of these, these things of man fades in comparison to the glory of the God the Father. That's why we worship him. The most richest, the most smartest, the most influential people of this day is very, very small next to King Jesus. 
minute. Many kings, many rulers of this world today, that think they're in control over this earth and they think they have a plan and they've got big plans for this earth and they're all strategizing and working together to bring about their globalistic world government. They think they have the power. They think they have the authority. They obviously do not know the sovereignty of God. Go back and read Psalm 2 today. They do not know the sovereignty of God. He alone, the scripture here says, is immortality. Dwelling in an unapproachable light. Whom no man has seen or can see. He is holy. Jesus is not just some superman. He's God-man. Truly immortal, without a beginning or an ending, with all glory. Paul understood this. Do you know why he understood this? Because in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, he personally saw the light. As he journeyed, he became near to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. That moment in his life transformed his life, never to be the same again. Paul even notes in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. Now being revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light, through the gospel. And when you understand who God is, you will honor, Paul says here, an everlasting power. It should bring you and I to a response in our life to honor and to worship and to praise God. You can always tell someone who's saved. Because they cannot help but honor and worship and please God. Because you know what he's done in your life. You know who he is. And he knows what he's going to do. He has an everlasting power. And it's not this response as a believer of what can he do for me. I'll give my life to God because I need him to do this for me. That's maybe start where you might start in your relationship with him. But as you mature and grow, you will move from what can he do for me? And you will simply move to worshiping him and say, God, what can I do for you? I want to honor you. I want to please you in everything I say and do. I want to praise the glory and honor and exalted and enthroned to who you are in heaven. Who alone has immortality? Immortality means not subject to death. And glorify 
an unapproachable light. Because God is not subject to death. He is life and the giver of life. And when you understand that, it will change your perspective of how you worship your God. Now we see in verse 17, Paul gives a little bit of a reminder to Timothy regarding the rich person. He says here, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Don't be proud. Remind them not to be proudful, prideful. Nor to trust in uncertain riches. But in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good. That they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So he reminds Timothy, okay, Timothy, I'm telling you there's certain things you need to do as a pastor and to teach your people, but let's go back to these people regarding those who are rich. Please remind them the fact that I've given them all these resources and how to use those resources in a way that's pleasing to God. And he gives it very clearly here. First of all, he says, the phrase there, rich in this present age, these, this might bring about the fact that you have in this moment, in these riches are, that I've given you at this moment in your life as a rich person, you're responsible to manage those resources well according to what God wants you to do. That's not something for you just to get to do with whatever you want to do with your money. You have responsibility with these riches. But also... Not only are you have responsibility for the riches of what you do with them today, but notice the language. Riches in this present age, which means not only now, but also you need to be responsible of what you do with that, this money's right now that will actually be projected into the future for you. What you do with the resources I've given you now will actually, you will pay, will pay off dividends or you will be rewarded, you will benefit or not in the future with those resources I've given you to today. When you keep that in your perspective, it will help you. And he says not to be haughty or that pride, that consistent danger with, that comes with riches. It's very easy to believe that we are more because we have more than other people. Look what I've got. And somehow become more elite over other people. And you hear it in our culture today. There's the elitists, and then there's those who are just struggling, they're poor. There's always these class warfares. But if God has blessed you with resources, you're not to see yourself more better than someone else who has nothing. That's one of your first warnings that Paul is, God is saying to you and to me. Nor do you trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. God knows our tendency that the more we receive material-wise, the more we will trust in those riches to be able to live a life today. Do you have any concerns today? Do you have any prayer needs? No, I've got everything I want. You won't believe how wealthy I got this year off the stock market. 
You won't believe my pension and I'm doing this. Oh, I've been pocketing this. Oh, I have no concerns whatsoever. Be very careful. That can disappear within 48 hours just like that. So Paul's warning Timothy. Timothy's warning his people in the congregation. If God has blessed you with material things, don't be prideful about it. Don't think you're better than other people. And just keep in mind, you continue to praise God for what he's given you because now you have more responsibility for what God wants you to do with those resources for others, not for yourself. That's why he says, let them do good. In verse 18, be rich in good works. Do the good works that God is putting on your heart to do with the resources he's given you. To be good with it. Be ready to give constantly. As you sitting there and God has blessed you with more, that doesn't mean you get to upgrade. You, you really should be sitting there, God, I'm ready. Who, who's in need? Who, who are my brothers and sisters that I, I, I fellowship with or family members that I need to help them because they're in time of need? I'm ready. I'm willing to share. I'm willing. I have a heart of willingness to share. It's not about hoarding for myself. It's not about collecting what I can get for so I can paint this beautiful early retirement image in my mind. I always remind people, show me in the scripture anywhere that shows there's such a thing as a retirement. Please, show me somewhere. Because God has good works for you from now until he comes and takes you home. And then you're going to be working for him in the new world. There's no such thing as retirement. So I don't know. I don't have that mentality. God took that out of me when I got saved. Praise God. I just keep doing what he's called me to do. And yes, he'll shift me and have me do other things as I get older and more feeble. I become more of a prayer warrior. Because I can't get out of bed or whatever it may be. But you always have something for God to do in and through your life. Good works. Ready to give. Willing to share. Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come. Storing up for themselves for the foundation. Now, let me take you back here real quick on one thing there at the end of verse 17, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. What I'm telling you, what I'm not telling you today is that if God's given you resources, money, and, and things, that you're some, somehow supposed to just not enjoy them. If you go back and read Ecclesiastes, all throughout that, talks about the blessings that we are to enjoy what God has given us because life will end one day and we are going to enjoy what God has given us. But we're not talking about the joy of enjoying for a pleasures of life, but he's talking about it simply enjoying all that God gives us for his glory. What you do with those resources that brings him glory that is what you're to enjoy. And there's nothing better than giving for those who need help. Being a giver 
and doing good with our resources will do some very important thing for your heart. It will guard your heart and my heart from materialism and trusting in uncertain riches. It will keep it from becoming, you becoming carnal in your Christian walk. Many think the main reason for giving to the Lord is because the church needs money. God's not broke. <laughs> I don't know if you, <laughs> he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's not broke. The reason why he asks you and I to tithe, to give back what he's given you to the church, to the good works of the things that God is in his king, for his kingdom, is not because he's broke. It's, it's because it's very important to protect your heart from becoming selfish and materialism. That's why we give. And that's the most important reason to give is because you need to be a giver, the scripture says. Is God's way of guarding you against greed and trusting in uncertain riches, as the scripture talks about. If you do not give your material things to the Lord's work, how will you, as Paul says, will you be storing up for yourself a good foundation for the time to come? We should use the wealth. We should use the resources that God has given you to do good to other people. We should share and we should put our money to work that pleases God. And when we do, we enrich ourselves, the scripture says in Luke 16, verses 1 through 13. You and I will enrich ourselves spiritually and we'll make investments for the future. It's not just about here and now. And as Paul points Timothy's mindset, you're laying hold on eternal life. Leave the pursuit of money aside. Be content with what God has given you and use the excess and additional and whatever he's given you and putting on your heart to do good works for other people, to lay up things that you're doing now that will pay off, be rewarded for doing those good works in heaven when you get there. I mean, these are the things you must keep your mind and focused on regards to material. And finally, verse 20 and 21, he closes here this final challenge to him. With a conclusion, he says, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. As a pastor, be guarded on what God has called you to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have, a, have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. As we draw the closure here on this letter from Paul to Timothy, Paul repeated a theme often used to challenge Timothy to distinguish himself between what comes from God, which was committed to your trust, Timothy. Make sure you stay focused on what God's given you be very trustworthy with this. And what comes from man? Don't 
you must distinguish, Timothy, what God's word says, what he's given you, versus what man's knowledge or babblings that come from man. That's not from God. You must keep your mind guarded on the things which you read and hear and see. Guard against these things that can be so enamored by man today. The promise and the pursuits of riches. You have a deposit, a spiritual truth to guard and invest, Timothy. Guard it well. The enemy wants to steal it from you. To take and steal. Beware of those who want to give you new knowledge beyond what God says in his word. You don't touch it. How many times still today I've got a new knowledge from God or new knowledge you need to learn and it goes against the scripture. It's not from the scripture. You don't read it. You don't listen to it. You don't apply it. You flee from it. That is a warning. And Paul kept warning and warning and warning and warning all through this letter. Paul is, again, trying to give Timothy the confidence and understanding that he needs to make sure he stays focused on God and not be seduced by the power and the things that come from this world. There's high stakes. It's not something you just, ah, we'll think about it. No, no. The enemy wants to steal and kill and destroy you. Spiritually, your family, your kids, you must stay guarded. Commit it to what God has given you through the word of God. Commit it. And like every minister, Timothy was supposed to stand up for God's truth. He was to teach it to the people. He was to preach it to the people. He was to fight for it when people try to go against it and try to say that the scripture doesn't need to apply today. He was to fight for that faith. He was to warn the people for the sake of it. To exhort it. And he was to guard it as sacred trust. God said, Timothy, I'm giving you something I need and trust in you. And Timothy was to protect it with his entire life. May the Lord give each and every one of us that kind of heart. To continue to study the word of God. And determination to obey the word of God practically in our lives. I, that's what I pray for you all. Is that we continue abiding in Christ day by day by day. And at the very end we see here, Paul closes as he began the letter, grace be with you. To all of you. It wasn't just to Timothy, but to everyone who was reading the letter there in Ephesus. And today, his final sentence was not just to Timothy, but it was to everyone who read this letter. The entire church in mind, Paul was saying, grace be with you. Amen means what? So be it. <laughs>